Welcome back in. Brady Farkas Show right here on WDEV, AM and FM, and WDEVradio.com. It is a Thursday. That means it's time to talk to our guy, Buster Olney, our ESPN MLB insider. Buster, next week when we talk, we are officially going to be at spring training here. Do you have your uh, reservations made and your planes booked? Yes. Uh, excited about that. Going to land in Tampa. The Major League Baseball is going to hold a, a session about you know the new rules. Uh, next Wednesday, which means when I talk to you next week, I'll, I'll give you some breakdown on what they told us. Uh, hanging out in Dunedin and going down to Fort Myers, seeing the Red Sox, seeing the Twins. Um, yeah, it, uh, we're going to be flying flying right into it here just uh, in a week, less than a week. Because so many key players are going to be leaving for the World Baseball Classic, is there more urgency in you to get to certain places early in camp while teams are whole? Not necessarily. Uh Look, I, you know, a lot of times when you go to spring training, uh, you know, you don't, uh, you just want to catch up with people, and you don't know who you're going to run into on a given day. Uh, you know, if there's not a big press conference or something. So if, you know, if I walk into the Yankees camp and some of the key members of the Yankees are not there, then there'll be plenty of people to talk to. You know, yeah. a lot of folks to, to catch up with and, and get perspective in. I, you know, that's one of the cool things about spring training. It's so laid back, uh, and it's. You have conversations, you get a lot done. You know, we've seen a couple of, of moves obviously made. A couple of weeks ago there was the uh, the big Marlins and Twins trade, but largely since the new year the transaction market has dried up. Do you think that is a product of somewhat of the World Baseball Classic and that teams wanted to have their roster set early because they just wanted to account for that? Because there are still the players out there that, that are unsigned. We talked about Michael Waka last week. Yeah, and I, I think it probably, you know, we reached the stage in the winter also when this was in relation to Waka that I think uh, if you're a, you know, a player, you're unsigned, you might feel like you're going to benefit from waiting for an injury to mm. develop. Uh, not to say that Michael Waka is waiting for, for some other players to get hurt, but I think he's in a position where he knows that, you know, injuries happen and, you know, maybe that, uh, you know, when, uh, when a team suffers, loses starting pitcher, he's going to, have more interest in them. Maybe, uh, you know, other players in other positions will have that too. You know, I, I'm i sure you saw these comments the other day by Kike Hernandez. He was on the Chris Rose podcast with uh, John Boy Media, and he said he really helped recruit Justin Turner to come to Boston. And he said part of the reason I wanted Turner is we needed a culture change. And he thought that that Turner would be a great guy in the clubhouse. Now, those comments struck me as interesting because I'm like, okay, is that a shot at last year's leadership group? We had Tom Karen on yesterday from Nesson, who's obviously tight with the Red Sox. He said he didn't read it that way, but I need you to break the tie buster. When a guy says we needed a culture change, that, that raises eyebrows to me. Yeah, I don't, I don't necessarily think it's a, a culture change per se. Is it they, I think, uh, you know, in terms of like the culture was bad before, but I think given the circumstance with the Red Sox this year, all the conversation around the team, they know that Justin Turner is going to be a real positive influence. Uh, you know, I had Dave Roberts on my podcast, the Dodgers manager, just uh, interviewed him yesterday, and he talked about Turner being an extension of the coaching staff. And when there's something going on, you know, Justin was great in how he brought perspective. And let's face it, the Red Sox potentially uh, – you know, could use an injection of, of glass half full, a glass, you know, optimism, professionalism in a year in which they might struggle and the fans are not going to react well. And I, you know, you and I have had this conversation and we felt like, I, I felt like being around the team, 
that it was a distracted group at times where it felt like that all the contract stuff, uh, you know, the trade stuff, uh, you know, became cancerous at times uh, in terms of them going about their work. I'll never forget the day you and I talked about it uh, after it happened when Christian Vasquez was traded and how angry the players were, uh, you know, about how that was handled. It doesn't mean Justin Turner is going to necessarily save the Red Sox, (laughs) propel them from a 78-win team to a 98-win team, but I do think players like that help out over the course of the year, and, and Justin has a proven track record for that. Buster only ESPN MLB insider with us here in the Brady Farkas show on WDEV. I'm going to switch gears with you here for a moment. This was a big talking point for us yesterday on the show, and I need you to kind of break the tie on this too. So we were talking about Tom Brady. We were talking about LeBron James and career longevity and accomplishment. And my question to you is, what story arc impresses you more the out-of-nowhere storyline like Tom Brady or the has the expectations and fulfills them and exceeds them like LeBron James. Wow. Uh, yeah, and I can remember watching LeBron in high school. Yeah. You know, when the ESPN was broadcasting his game, and, and you could see right away what an incredible passer he was. He turned out to be a you know a much better scorer than I, I ever imagined that he would be and how dominant he was. I, I, I always liked the, the stories about, you know, the players who exceed expectations, you know, and, and Tom Brady being a six-round draft pick. And, uh, you know, I, I actually was covering the NFL uh, and covered that Super Bowl. We're going into the, you know, the last days before, as Drew Bledsoe was coming back from injury. It was an open question day to day. You know, Bill Belichick was asked every day, well, who's going to be your starter? Is it going to be Bledsoe or is it going to be Brady? And so when Brady was announced as a starter, that became news. Yeah. And, and you think about that, you know, where he was and, and where he got to. You know, in baseball, uh, I think everyone's going to be, uh, you know, one of the conversations about Mike Trout has been, like, how did that guy last till like, the 25th pick in the draft? Yeah. You know, he's so big. He's so strong. He's so fast. You love that. Uh, you know, this year, Gunnar Henderson at the Baltimore Orioles, he got picked in the second round, hmm. and already at 21-22, he's the easy frontrunner to win American League Rookie of the Year, and, and so that's a fun conversation. Like, how did everyone pass on him? Michael Jordan was the third pick in the draft. <laughs> he wasn't the first pick in the draft. Think about that. I love those type of stories. You know, on the LeBron thing, though, I, it's it, what makes him so interesting, though, to me also is all the accomplishments that he's had. Four finals victories, four-time finals MVP, scoring champion, league MVP, etc. I think about the baseball version of him, and in my lifetime, at least, it's Bryce Harper, right? A guy who you heard about from 16 years old. He's on the cover of Sports Illustrated. I would say that Bryce Harper has certainly met his expectations. He's won an MVP. He's gotten a big contract. He's been to the World Series. But he's not even in the same stratosphere of accomplishment as LeBron. And I'm like, if Harper is seen as hitting the expectations, LeBron is so far over them. That's why I consider what he's done to be so impressive. Yeah, I would agree with you there. You know, and Bryce, I love how he's evolved during his career. I actually think we we still might see the best of Bryce going forward because he just seems like he – has figured out so much stuff, especially growing up effectively in the spotlight in the way that LeBron has. But I will tell you this. Like, I just had this conversation with my 18-year-old son yesterday. He goes, no doubt LeBron's the greatest. And I'm like, no, that's not true. I'm sorry. <laughs> uh, I, you know, I said there's no doubt he's a better passer than Jordan was. Uh, he probably is at least as good a defender as Jordan was. But, you know, in terms of having the ball in the last minute of the game, the last 15 seconds, it's not even close. 
Yeah. It's not even close. <laughs> the only person who's close to Jordan in the last 15 seconds that I've ever seen was Larry Bird. Uh, and LeBron's not even in the conversation of, okay, who do you want to have the ball in the last 10 seconds? He's not even in the conversation. I'd put, um, so I'd put Kobe in the last – I'd put Kobe in the last 15-second conversation. Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. Yeah. Uh, you know, but I, I think LeBron, kind of like Magic Johnson, I grew up a huge Laker fan. Like in the last 15 seconds, there are a lot of moments <laughs> when Magic didn't didn't do great. You know, yeah. he had that one sky hook in, in Boston Garden, and that was great. But he also had some times when he dribbled out the clock, and, and LeBron was kind of like that too. So I, I'm not ready to just put him on the mountaintop and say he's the greatest <laughs> of all time. Jordan was ridiculous in those moments. There was one more Red Sox question I wanted to go back to, and I admit that I haven't done a lot of digging on this one, and it's the uh, the book that just came out from Evan Drellick, or maybe it's coming out soon here. It's kind of more about the Astros sign-stealing scandal, but it doesn't appear that Alex Cora comes off looking very good in that. Is there something there that I'm supposed to now think less of Alex Cora than I did before? Um, and, you know, I mean, since the, the excerpts came out in the Boston Herald last week, I've been asking around, asking the same questions. Um, you know, the one thing I, I'm going to say this, the one thing I've learned uh, in my time covering sports is that there are different versions of history according to who you talk to. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I think that that might be the case here. Uh, I think there, you know, depending on who you talk to, there would be different versions. And, you know, I remember – um, you know, after the science-stealing scandal broke, there were all these stories about effectively how Alex Cora, Carlos Beltran bullied other players into going along with the science-stealing. The science uh, and I asked a bunch of people in that clubhouse, and I'm like, so is that how it was? And they're like, no. So I, I, that was an example of that to me, and, and so I, you know, uh, it, it is what it is. The Alex Core that I read about in excerpts is not the Alex Core that I know, yeah. and other players don't don't know either, based on my conversation. Buster, I'll get you out of here on this big story this uh, week by uh, your colleague at ESPN, Jeff Passan, and was talking with Steve Cohen, and basically the the premise of the column was that Steve Cohen pushed back on his on his haters and said, you know, if you don't like how I'm spending, you could spend too, and I got I got to ask you. Because I am one of the guys that's not necessarily a fan of Steve Cohen, right? I, but I want to know, how did fans get brainwashed? Because clearly I've been drinking the Kool-Aid from front offices about terms like value and control and service, etc. How did we as fans get brainwashed? Because Steve Cohen is the exact guy I would have loved at 15 years old to run my favorite team. But at 33, I'm thinking he's a devil to the sport. How did, we, how did fans fall into that trap? Yeah, uh, and it's interesting because agents ask the same question. Like a really smart agent who I know said, how is it that everyone, you know, fans, uh, they focus on that as opposed to winning? Uh, you know, yeah. uh, you know that being the most important thing, you know, getting, getting the best value. You know, the geniuses in the sport, uh, in some cases, are teams that haven't won the World Series. And so you're right. I do think that, uh, you know, as, after the book Moneyball came out, there was a lot more conversation about making pro- appropriate decisions versus winning. And so I think that, you know, what Cohen has done, clearly he wants to win. Uh, what Peter Seiler, the owner of the Padres, has done, he's devoted to the idea of winning, has changed the context in an uncomfortable way for other owners, like John Henry. I think part of the yeah. criticism of the Red Sox is because we, of the spending that we've seen, you know, that's been driven by guys like Cohen and Peter Seiler. 
Buster Olney, ESPN MLB Insider with us every Thursday. Next Thursday, he's going to be live at spring training. Buster, do you have a Super Bowl pick, Chiefs or Eagles? Yep, I got Chiefs. I got bets all over the place, <laughs> uh, and I took the point and a half. All right, there you go. Buster, appreciate you. Best of luck on those bets, and we'll talk in seven days. Thanks, Brady.